Hi, friends. This is episode 52 of the Bible Lab Podcast. You are listening to the Bible Lab Podcast, recorded before a very lively audience on the campus of Loma Linda University. Here's your host, Roy Ice. Hi, everybody. Thanks so much for joining us again. I just got back a couple of days ago from Germany, and I have to say, I'm just so excited to see what God is doing through the people in Germany. They're so excited about what's happening at the Bible Lab, and I will share with you very soon some of the things that are developing with the Bible Lab, including some possibilities in the German language. And so please pray for your brothers and sisters over there. It is quite a challenge to be a Christian in Europe today, and so please lift them up in your prayers. I also want to invite you to go to our website, thebiblelab.com, and connect with us if you'd like to start a Bible lab in your community. We want to help you. We have a new ministry starting that is going to support you, to help you to have every single thing that you could possibly need to start it, and that includes moral support and a lot of cheerleading. And so contact with us on our contact page, and we are going to get right back to you. Also on our website, don't forget to get your free study guide to follow along with this session. This is a great one. You've heard this parable probably all of your life if you grew up Christian, and you're going to see some new things you've never seen before. I can't wait for you to listen to it. Thanks so much for being part of this journey. God bless you as you join us here at the Bible Lab. All right, here we go. Number one, if we experienced a major natural disaster and the stores had empty shelves, I would need to get supplies from my Bible lab friends. Ah, look at this. Okay, it looks to me to be about 45% yes. And about 45% no. And uh, 10% maybe, which means, yeah, you don't have anything. Uh, You don't have any water. You don't get any food. You're just going to be praying, praying that that flight be on the Sabbath so that you can get something to eat at the Bible lab before you head to the hills. That's right. (laughs) Number two, I'm the type of person that has backup plans for my backup plans. Ah. All right, I'm seeing a little bit different. It's about, it's about the same as last time, only a few less maybes, uh, which means that, yeah, some, some of you are thinking, well, based on natural disasters, when that big one hits here in Southern California, I don't know. I don't have a backup plan for my backup plan. I don't even have a plan. Number three, Jesus is coming later than we think. Jesus is coming later than we think. Uh, You're taking your time on this one. But it looks like uh, a sea of purple. Uh, (laughs) It looks like to me that we have about 50% maybe, that we have about 20% yes, and 30% no. We're going to talk about that today, because unfortunately Jesus talked about it in our parable today, our kingdom tale today. And um, for a people that says Jesus is coming soon, We don't like the story that Jesus is about to tell. Because Jesus doesn't say he's coming soon. So we'll talk about that later. Don't get discouraged and leave. We're just starting. Number four, I have enough faith for myself and my loved ones. 
Ah, okay. It looks like about 95, uh, about 90% no, and about 7% yes and 3% maybe, if my math is correct. Good. So predominantly, no, you don't have enough faith for you and your loved ones. And I know, I hear the grumbling, I know you're saying this could go a bunch of different ways, and you are correct. Number five, God does not know everybody. God does not know everybody. Okay, look at this double negative. I've got this crowd saying no. <laughs> no to the statement God does not know everyone, which means God does know everyone. And so I'm seeing like 95% uh, no and a split of yes and maybe uh, for the remainder. Once again, unfortunately, Jesus says something different today, and we have to ask, okay, if he says he doesn't know some people, what is he really saying? Because when God says, I don't know you, what is he really saying? Ah, I hear you grumbling. I cannot wait for your question and comment cards. Now, typically we start out with, with a question. Today, because of, the, because of the nature of this story, can we start out with the filter of Scripture and, and then go into the questions? Because I think it's really going to help us. Otherwise, we can, we can really run uh, 10 ways to Sunday on, on the questions here. So why don't we start out by looking at the text in Matthew chapter 25, verses 1 through 13. Matthew 25, verses 1 through 13. And we're going to read it in the New Living Translation. It goes like this. This is Jesus talking. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten bridesmaids who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The five who were foolish didn't take enough olive oil for their lamps, but the other five were wise enough to take along extra oil. When the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, they were roused by the shout, Look, the bridegroom is coming. Come out and meet him. All the bridesmaids got up and prepared their lamps. Then the five foolish ones asked the others, Please, give us some of your oil because our lamps are going out. But the others replied, We don't have enough for all of us. Go to a shop and buy some for yourselves. But while they were gone to buy, to buy oil, the bridegroom came. Then those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was locked. Later, when the other five bridesmaids returned, they stood outside calling, Lord, Lord, open the door for us. But he called back, believe me, I don't know you. So you too must keep watch, for you do not know the day or hour of my return. Hmm. So, several questions <laughs> are going to come up. Let's start with this one. In your experience, church has taught, now the moral of the story is, kids, how has this parable typically been explained to you? What made five of the bridesmaids wise and what made five of them foolish? Raise your question or comment cards to share with us. What have you been taught? Moral of the story is, kids, what were you told that this parable is all about? Who's going to be brave and start us out? Um, I was always taught that this parable uh, means that we need to be ready at any moment to just uh, be ready for the second coming. Okay. 
and uh, she'd be like, oh, it seems like the sky is opening. Looks like we're going to heaven. Exactly. So <laughs> be ready at any given moment. That's what you've been taught. Excellent. Good. Back here. <clears throat> we, I was told this about oil. It's, uh, it's representing the Holy Spirit. Either okay. you have it or you don't. Okay. Either have the Holy Spirit or you don't. So that's what I heard too. There's just a problem. Some had a little and some had enough. And I don't know how you have a little of the Holy Spirit and when you have a lot or extra of the Holy Spirit. I, d I don't know how you have a little of the Holy Spirit. And we're going to talk about that. But exactly w what I heard. Who was the next one over here? Right here, Brian. I was... Uh I remember being taught that this represented the 1844 message, the midnight cry, and okay. that this was uh, when the um, other churches did not enter into or did not follow Jesus as he moved into the holy place. Mm -hmm. um, so they were shut out, and this began what was known as the shut door. Yeah. Uh, theology, yeah, the shut door theology. Which a lot of people bristle at. But, um, yeah. That's, uh, so this is something that has passed something that has happened already. So mm -hmm. it's not something we can get messages out of it, but really yeah. this is a message that is something that's already taken place. Okay, so. cool. Very good. Anybody else? Growing up, what did you hear? I have one over here, yes. Well, I think it's kind of, I didn't notice this before, but um, about that one problem with just being about being watchful and waiting, as I said, that all, everybody fell asleep. Not just part of them fell asleep, but all the, all the bridesmaids fell asleep, not... So that is a little problematic for just being watching and waiting. Yeah, David, thank message. you. Thank you for totally messing up the moral of the story. <laughs> it was so easy before. It's like, just keep watch. Jesus says at the end, his conclusion, just keep watch. There's a problem. The five wise fell asleep. It says they all got drowsy and fell asleep. So thank you, David, for totally messing up how we apply the ten... The ten bridesmaids. We're going to get there, though. We're going to get there. Up here, Ben. Roy, I find it uh, comforting what Sister White says in Christ's Object Lessons. The oil is a symbol of the Holy Spirit. The class represented by the foolish virgins are not hypocrites. Hmm. They have a regard for the truth. They've advocated for the truth. They're attracted to those who believe the truth, but they have not yielded themselves to the Holy Spirit. Hmm. So, so it's, it's not a hopeless yeah, yeah. case. It's, I, there's I, hope. I, I, I'm so glad you brought that out because it's a beautiful uh, and very relevant example of there are those who are bridesmaids. You're part of the wedding party. Now, if you look at Christ's whole motif, the bridegroom coming to receive to himself the bride. Who's the bride in the story? The church. So who would the bridesmaids be? Church members, exactly. Thank you. Okay. I think I heard everything from Jesus to uh, Noah. Yeah, it's not Noah. Yeah, thank you. Um, no, I'm, I'm kidding. No one said Noah. But uh, thank you for playing. No, the, the bridesmaids are seen in this, in this allegory as the church members. And what Ben just brought out is the fact that there are those within the church who are living with intentionality and expectation. And there are those within the church that are doing it because they know they need to be part of the bridal party because they know that the bridal party gets to go to the wedding. 
And so they know that they want to be part of the group. The question is, are they doing what's necessary to truly be part of the wedding? And it brings up a lot of questions we're going to get to today. Are we not encouraged to share when there's a need? <laughs> Obviously, Jesus said, don't share. <laughs> Can I hear an amen? <laughs> now, that's beautiful. That's beautiful. Uh, Heinz, I'm so glad you brought that up. Once again, you are a man ahead of your time. About 10 minutes ahead of your time, so don't, <laughs> don't get too cocky. But... Um, but that's where we have to go too. This parable brings up so many of those types of questions because we know the character of God. Those of us who have been on this journey, we're like, whoa, that does not fit the character of God who last week we saw his generosity go so far beyond human generosity that we can't match it. So how would a generous God say don't share? It doesn't fit his character. And so we're going to get there in about 10 minutes. Blue Mike. Raul. The, in my opinion, the parable uh, deals with more, more with um, neglect than faithfulness. Okay. Um, the these ten bridesmaids knew one year ahead of time that this was going to happen. They didn't know the day, but they knew one year because mm -hmm. traditionally in Hebrew weddings there was that year in preparation. Mm -hmm. So they had time to get oil. They had plenty of time, but they neglected it. Hmm. So when the, the, the groom came, they, they were not ready. Hmm. Um, same thing with the Pharisees. They had the knowledge, yeah. but they didn't accept the Messiah, hmm. the truth. So they neglected it. Mm -hmm. And that's why Jesus went hard on them. It's not that you are not faithful to the law. You are faithful, but you neglect truth. Yeah, yeah. Pharisees were part of the party. They just weren't part of the parade. And we're going to talk about the difference because that's exactly what this story tells us in pictures is this parade that the bridesmaids were supposed to be part of. And we're going to get to, to that in a moment. Over here. I looked at story in the context of salvation. Yeah. We have a tendency to think and some evangelicals believe that, that once saved, always saved. Uh -huh. That no matter what you do, you'll always be saved. Mm -hmm. But we don't believe that. Right. We, we are saved if we stay in that relationship with Christ. Mm -hmm. Just like staying in a married relationship, you are married as long as you stay married. Mm -hmm. And you are saved as long as you stay saved in that relationship with Christ. Mm -hmm. And a lot of us take that for granted that, okay, we've been in the church for a long, long time. And we're safe, but is that not so? Hmm. If you don't have that abiding personal relationship with Christ, we will lose. We will get lost, just like the five uh, virgin. Absolutely. It was members of the bridal party who didn't make it to the wedding feast. It's not talking about people who weren't even part of the party. Who's Jesus talking to? If you look at what happens just before this story, you've got Jesus talking a lot in chapter 24 about signs of his second coming. And then he goes into this story about the bridegroom coming. And so you have to make this connection because Matthew's making the connection. He didn't make the chapter divisions. This is all flow of consciousness for Matthew. And so it is connected to 
Jesus' second coming, and there are people within the wedding party, the bridal party, the church, who just don't get it. The question is, why half? We're going to talk about that in a moment, too. Red mic, over here. Who had the red mic? Well, I have a question. Is this a parable or an allegory? Because I was taught that parables are stories with a point, mm-hmm. whereas allegories are f- rich with symbolism, and you look at all the details. Yeah. Uh, in my opinion, it's both. Um, and this is what Jesus did really, really well. Uh, and that's why uh, about 2,000 years later, we take a parable, a kingdom tale, and we look for the symbolism. Because this story about God's kingdom Jesus wants us to keep unpacking. In fact, remember the very first session that we talked about uh, when uh, he tells the parable of the sower and his disciples say, why, why are you speaking like this? This is different. And Jesus says, it's so that some people won't understand. He wanted some people not to understand because he was speaking in allegory. Symbols that they just wouldn't get because their mind would not allow them to, their theology would not allow them to make the connection between the symbols and his theology. And so thank you for bringing that up. I believe it's a bit of both so that it is serving a broad context of individuals. Over here next, I believe. Yes, Marina. I have a question to add to your question. Good. And then I'll have a question to add to your question. Okay, thank you. We'll just keep going in a circle. Because you have taught us the connections between all of these stories, Mm -hmm. does this story hail back to the story of the wedding vows? Are you talking about Exodus 20? Or are you talking about, are are, are you talking about the the parable? About the wedding? Both? (laughs) I think it does because if, if God is one thing, he's consistent. And it's almost like every single time he speaks to us or does some sort of interaction, it's like he's trying to fill in the picture a little bit more. The other thing that you have to understand, the Hebrew mindset was not, that just how they processed information was not the same as we do today, which many of you know that the way we process information today is nowhere near how your grandchildren process information, right? I mean, they don't even do real math anymore. Um, so, did you ever have that encyclopedia where it had the clear pages, and on one page it had the skeleton, and then, and then you, it's like you're turning backwards. You, you, you lay another page on top of it, it's got the muscles, the ligaments, or whatever, or it's got some organs, and you just keep these uh, several pages, these transparent pages, and you keep building, building, building on that same image. That was how the Hebrews actually process information the best. That's why when you read through Revelation, you're like, I don't get it. I thought we were done, and now we're back to some seven trumpets now? Where, where do they fit? It's because the Hebrew mindset basically would go through it once, and it comes back to it again, trying to fill in more detail. It's the same with Daniel. When you look at, for example, uh, example Daniel chapter 2, the image in Daniel, and you've got, these, you've got these kingdoms, these four kingdoms. Well, then you get to Daniel you know, chapter 7, and now you've got these four beasts coming up. Well, you just overlay them. They overlay, so you get more and more information. So, sorry, Marina, it's a long answer for a very short question, but the reality is uh, God's consistent behavior, especially for the Hebrew people, was to reiterate in a different camera angle so that they saw things from a little bit more granular 
in detail um, so that they understood his character a little bit more that way. Over here, purple. Okay. Um, I think this talks about one thing was preparation. Mm -hmm. They didn't properly prepare. Okay. But I'm, I'm picturing maybe they were also because they were running late. You know how you just forget stuff? I mean, how could they forget the oil? Yeah. yeah. But here, the other thing is that because it says our lamps are burning out, that would, mm -hmm. that would denote that the lamps were burning. So okay. they slept for hours. Mm -hmm. If they'd put the lamps out, mm -hmm. then they probably would have had oil. So they were kind of wasting the oil okay. while they were sleeping. Awesome. But what does that say? We're sleeping. We have the Holy Spirit. Are we wasting our oil? Okay. Are we going to be ready? You uh, know? Good question. That's how I see. Great question. I'm so glad you asked those because uh, what you're doing is, is very responsible. You're taking what we know and in your mindset saying, well, obviously they're doing this and this and this. The problem is our Western mindset is different from the Eastern mindset. In the Middle East, um, how they prepared for a wedding and what a bridesmaid would do. In our minds, United States here, we would assume that they would just keep these lamps lit, just keep them lit all, all the time, and we're thinking of regular oil lamps. We're going to get to what they might have been here in a moment. Um, according to commentators, the, the lamps were not lit, and so it wasn't burning the whole time. You brought up another, another good point. Um, maybe they were just out of time. In Christ's story, the reality is they had an abundance of time because the bridegroom was later than he said he would be. So they have too much time. And then when the bridegroom is there, they don't have enough time in order to get the oil and to be part of whatever it is we're going to talk about in a moment, what really their job description was, what a bridesmaid was supposed to do they had too much time to prepare, and they didn't, and then they didn't have enough time, and they couldn't participate. And so we're going to talk about that in a moment. But thank you for bringing that up, because you're helping to shift us away from the Western mindset. And we'll get to it in just one moment. Who had the microphone next? Isn't the, the oil aisle, is a, it's the Holy Spirit. And where do you get the Holy Spirit from? You don't get it from another person. Huh. You get it directly from God. Hmm. So they didn't have the right, a close relationship. They went to church, they knew the truth, mm -hmm. but they just didn't quite accept it all. Mm -hmm. And then it would be the same as when Jesus is standing at the door and he'll say, I don't know you. Well, why didn't you know me? <laughs> you know who I am. Yeah. yeah you made the connection there. You're brilliant. You made no. the connection. Because at the beginning, uh, you, you said... Okay, well, the oil has to be the Holy Spirit. And most commentators say, yeah, it, Jesus consistently uses either oil or water to signify the Holy Spirit. How do you get the Holy Spirit, you asked. That's a perfect question. It's by knowing God. So it makes sense when you get to the end of the story why his response is, do I know you? No, I, I'm sorry, I don't, I don't know you. That's and that's what, exactly. But here's, here's the interesting thing. We're... Can I, can I dive into a couple of details and then I'll get to the other cards real quick? Because I want you to see something that many, many people miss just simply because we don't speak Greek or Hebrew. <laughs> can I hear an amen? Um, unfortunately, that was my undergrad. Was, my minor was biblical languages. So 
Let me just walk you through the details so you don't miss some of the key symbols that Christ is, is planting within this kingdom tale so you understand what he needs you to do right now so that you don't miss out on his greatest hope and his greatest desire, which is to have a really crowded heaven. So, first of all, we have the ten bridesmaids in verse 1. Why ten? A lot of people are trying to figure out why ten. Well, ten is kind of God's favorite number when he's talking about fullness, completeness. Uh, you, you, you have the Ten Commandments, you have the Ten Plagues. Uh, the old uh, rabbinic saying is, if you have ten people, you have a congregation. Jesus contradicts that. They didn't like it when he said, well, all you have to have is two or three gathered together in my name and I'll be there. You see why that was offensive? It's because the rabbis, the church leaders are saying, you've got to have at least ten people to have church. And Jesus says, two or three, you can have church. So, the girls all looked the same. Ten bridesmaids. Just like today's weddings, they looked all the same. They're all dressed in that awesome taffeta. And um, <laughs> they're going to wear it again. Trust me, there's some banquet coming up <laughs> that they can wear it again. They all look the same. But they're not. What's different about them? Scripture says five are wise five are foolish. They all have lamps in verse 1. You guys will be really excited. You all, you, you all can uh, remember a Greek word today. I have it right there for you. Lampadas. Okay, lamps. Lampadas. There's two possible interpretations here for what really it looked like, if you're trying to picture it in your mind. One is what you would expect, this little clay molded lamp you lay a wick on one side, and it has a little, little hole that you can keep feeding it oil uh, kind of toward the other side up on the top. That's one. But for weddings, most likely they use the other interpretation of, uh, of lamp. Um, if we were in the UK and we were talking about flashlights, you would probably call it a torch exactly you see how we <laughs> they don't know how to speak english but <laughs> someday they'll learn um different words mean different things uh, to, to us a, a torch is uh like flaming rags dipped in oil at the end of a of a long stick um to them it's a flashlight uh to the greeks lamp could mean one of those clay little lamps i just described or it could be oiled rags at the end of a long stick now we have to ask the question, what was the purpose of the bridesmaids? Because <laughs> if they're just flashlights to make sure you get through the alleyway to the groom's house, um, they're utilitarian. They're just there to make sure that they can find their way there. They just need uh, 10 lamps in order to find their way. But that's not true. That's not the custom. That's, we have to go back and we have to become Middle Eastern wedding planners to understand What's the necessity of these, of these bridesmaids? In verses 2 through 4, it says half are wise and half are foolish. The defining difference between the two groups is what? Oil. Why was having extra oil a big deal? And why could it not be shared? Heinz brought this up just a moment ago. We talked about what the oil represents. Many of us say well, it represents the Holy Spirit. 
Can you share the Holy Spirit? No. Can you invite people to accept the Holy Spirit into their heart? Yes. But unless that person wants to share an experience with the Holy Spirit, you yourself cannot share the Holy Spirit. You can only invite people into an experience with the Holy Spirit, but they have to share an experience with God in order to have the oil. In verse 5, they all became drowsy and fell asleep. As David talked about earlier. In the bridegroom's delay, all of them slept. The wise got drowsy and slept too. So what is Jesus saying about keeping watch if everyone's sleeping? And then on the back side, we see verse 9. The wise ones, when they're asked for oil, they say, we don't have enough for all of us. Could sound like selfish behavior on the part of the wise ones, but we got to talk about why it's not. Why is it impossible for them not to share? And this is where we have to look at what was the role in a Jewish wedding. Now, a Jewish wedding tended to last one week. Initially, the bridegroom would come to the bride's home. They would have some ceremonies at the bride's home, have a little, little food, and then they would leave the bride's home and have a parade. It was always, always, always at night. The parade from the bride's house to the bridegroom's house was never in the daytime. It was always at night, and that is the necessity for having lamps. But the lamps were not utilitarian because, you see, the parade that would go from the bride's house to the groom's house was supposed to be a light show parade. And the lights were supposed to be as bright as you could possibly have them. And so what they would do is, if they used the torches on the long sticks, they would bring along a vessel of extra oil. Because when you add oil to the torch, it flares up bright for a moment. But then as the oil burns off, it becomes more dim. And what you wanted to do as a bridesmaid is put on the best light show, be the brightest light show, and you would meander, going long ways around, meandering between buildings and houses and singing while you're on your way to the groom's home. It is possible to use a clay lamp to do that, but most commentators say, from what we know about weddings, chances are it was something that you could flare up brighter. Because much like if you go, uh, go to Disneyland, back when they had the electric light parade, if you were to have a float coming along that had maybe a few bulbs still working, barely flickering, you'd be like, hey, <laughs> this one, maybe this one better sit out. Because this is an electric light parade. The thing that makes this necessary in the parade is the light. And so the bridesmaids, the ten bridesmaids, were there literally to create this light show parade to announce going from the bride's home to the groom's home. That was their function. Why could the bridesmaids not share? Is because, if you look at the story again, the bridesmaids with not enough oil they do start out. They start out and they realize, ooh, we're not going to make it all the way to the groom's house being effective as a light show. We, we don't have enough to make it the whole 
way. So, they asked for oil. The wise version say, look, we can only carry so much. It's pretty heavy. We barely have enough. If we give you what we have, we're not going to make it. No one's going to make it. The groom's going to go in darkness the last bit of the way. And we can't have that because this is the wedding. This is that final bit of the wedding. So let's stop and talk about that for a moment before we get into the last couple of things. Who would like to address something that we've just said for Sharon? Actually, I'd like to go back just a little bit. I don't agree that the lamps would have gone out because how would they light them again? Somebody had to have some fire somewhere. I also, we read Christ Object Lessons last night, and Uh it looks as though the shining that people do is within their own sphere. Mm -hmm. They love others. They they fulfill both the great commandments by loving God Mm. and loving others. And during the time that we're drowsy and not knowing when Jesus is going to come, are we really supposed to stop shining? Hmm. No, it says, let your light shine. Mm -hmm. Whatever sphere we're in, and we don't have to be missionaries to Kathmandu, Mm -hmm. but we we do need to keep shining. We do need to keep doing for others Mm -hmm. what we we can see that God needs us to do. Absolutely, absolutely. And that's the beautiful thing about studying all of Scripture before you create theology, right? Because if you only use one or two verses of Scripture, you can create some pretty crazy theology, and people have done that to say, well, Christ said this, so it means I'm not supposed to. I'm not supposed to do that, because if I do that, I can't do what Christ said in this parable. So you have to take everything that Scripture says about a topic, put it all together, and see the through line. Many commentators look at this and say, uh, obviously, if the wise ones are getting drowsy and sleeping too, Jesus put that in this parable to mean something. I think the major point of the parable that many people race right past is that this parable has multiple therefores. Therefore what? And one of the major things is this. The parable of the ten bridesmaids is a parable to tell us today, you're going to get tired, you're going to get drowsy, And even as excited as you are to be with Jesus forever, be with God the Father and the Holy Spirit forever in heaven, you're going to get tired. Because guess what? It's going to be later than you think. It's going to be much later than you think. So still watch. Still be ready. But Jesus says, I know you. (laughs) You're going to fall asleep. And I see him even in his mind looking ahead just moments after sharing some of these parables and asking some of his closest disciples, Peter, James, and John, can't you stay awake for just one hour? The reality is God looks at us the same as we might look at our pets who are imperfect. We love them unconditionally. We love those those pets even when they chew up our, our favorite furniture. And we look down, we know, we know in their character, in, in their understanding that they love us and that they're going to do things that are counterproductive to our relationship, and yet that love doesn't stop. And God looks down and he says, I know you're going to get drowsy. I know you're going to fall asleep, but keep watch, which means this. The moment you're brought awake again by the announcement, the king's on his way, 
you see something that lets you know, oh, this is one of the signs you just talked about. You're awake and you're ready. But he is very pointedly saying, all of us who are, who are really trying to make sure we've got storehouses of oil ready for when the bridegroom comes, you're still going to get tired because it will be later than you expect. The New Living Translation translates it as midnight, but that's actually a, a liberty that they're taking there. Um, it just said really late at night, uh, which means it could have been past midnight. What we do know for sure is it was beyond what they would expect. They knew it would be after sunset, and so they're all excited. The sun's just going down. They're ready, and he's not there. It was a lot longer than they expected. I think that the problem really here is readiness. There's a difference between having something and, or not having something and readiness. Mm -hmm. All of them fell asleep. Mm -hmm. Jesus also fell asleep mm -hmm. on the boat on the Sea of Galilee. Fel falling asleep is not the problem. Mm -hmm. The girls were not ready when they woke up, but mm -hmm. Jesus was. Yeah. What is the difference there? Jesus' story, it says when they, when they woke up, depending on your translation, it'll say trimmed their lamp, prepared their lamp, prepared their torches. The word that's used there is basically that's the moment. And my guess, I can't be 100% sure on this, but my guess is that it was the torches on the stick. At that time, they, they make sure, okay, here's the rag, and they start putting what they have of the oil onto the torch, and those that were foolish, basically they saw, ah, wow, that used a lot more oil to get that torch ready than I thought. And as I'm looking and I'm estimating out, I realize I'm not going to make it. I'm not going to have my light all the way to the house. And it's in that moment of preparing their lamp just, I mean, the groom's not even here yet. It's just been announced he's going to be here. It's in that moment that the individuals realize who is wise and who is foolish. And, and so at that moment, that's when we know where it is. Uh, who was next? I'm sorry, was it back here? Go for it. And if you had only called me before Sharon. <laughs> <laughs> I would have had the correct answer, right? No, you wouldn't have taken all my thunder. I think we overthink some things because when we talk about going back to parables and allegories, yep. if we concentrate on one aspect, which in our Western culture we want to do, I was going to start off, we have a couple of the oil lamps that typically we, we have given to the bridesmaids, and they're about a third of the size of the answer cards. Mm -hmm. And then we would show some of the reserve oil, which was about the size. But, you know, if you're using the torch, it's different. But, you know, we say, well, if we're caring, don't we share? If God cared about Jesus, couldn't he have stopped him from falling if he had dashed himself off the cliff like Satan asked him to do? Hmm. We have taken it to a point well beyond what it was intended to teach. Yeah. And well, when I first got in the church, there was a family that I went to church with, and their neighborhood shifted. It became very bad, and, and the mother would always say, Jesus is going to take care of us. We don't have to lock the doors. And the father would say, 
I've got a magnum back there that Jesus wants me to have that's going to take care of us too. Lock the door. <laughs> they come in, I'll handle this. So I think we can take it well beyond what it was meant to teach. Yeah, yeah. I, I think in every generation, if we forget the context of the original, you know, uh, event or saying, uh, we're, we're prone to lose something. You mentioned uh, not letting Jesus dash his foot against the stone. Uh, in in uh, Matthew's version, Matthew 4, of the temptation of Christ, that's the second temptation. With Luke, it's the third. I go with Matthew because Matthew was an eyewitness with Christ. Luke did his gospel as a term paper, and I've graded enough university term papers that I know they're not reliable. Um, <laughs> so I'll go with Matthew's version, the second, the second temptation of Christ. The devil brings him up to the top of the temple spire, and he quotes scripture, was it Psalm 21 uh, or 31, where he says, uh, God will not even let you dash your foot against the stone. The reason why Satan says that in context is because the Jews believed that when the Messiah came, he would float down and land in the temple square. Satan's saying, let me be your campaign manager. Uh, you're doing this all wrong. The suffering servant is not working. So if we don't have that context of knowing what the mythology was of the Jews, we don't even understand what the temptation is uh, between Christ and Satan. I want you to look at the screen here real quick because I want you to understand something as well. We have to talk about what the purpose is of the bridesmaids in order to understand why, when they finally get to the groom's house and the door is locked, why the five foolish ones aren't allowed in. Now, like I had mentioned before, they would leave the bride's house together, and they would do this meandering path around town, singing a parade until they finally made it to the groom's house. It's a light show. It's a parade. What's the purpose of the bridesmaids? Just shout it out. Light show, okay? It's not necessary. They, they could have had a couple of men just saying, okay, watch your step. Oh, there's a stone here. Uh, watch out. There's a dog. I'll take care of him. It's not utilitarian. This is a show. It's a show. So, two things. I'm going to cover the first one first. Um, they get to the house. They all go inside, and they begin the feasting which is basically the celebration that the wedding has already taken place, okay? This is it. This is the final part of the wedding feast. It's at the very end of the feast, and everyone's saying, yay, we've had a feast. Now it's time for the reception. At the reception, are you still waiting for the bride and the groom to get married? I should hope not. Um, it's taken long enough to just get that plate of horrible food. Um, so you're at the reception, the wedding is done. You've had your light show, your parade, the celebration. You're sitting down to eat. And along comes, oh, let's hurry and get there, five more that say, okay, we're ready for the light show. What's the problem? It's unnecessary. Are you going to make the groom come back just so you can be part of that? And come again and say, okay, guys, come on, everybody, get up, stop what you're eating, let's let your food get cold, and let's go back, because these five who didn't care enough to be prepared to celebrate all the way to the reception need to have their experience, too. You'd say, that's ridiculous. We would never do that to the bride. We'd never do that to the groom. It's extremely rude, isn't it? And so you understand why, when they come to the door, why it's locked and shut is because, let me ask you this. What does the groom arriving at the bride's 
house represent in our understanding of end time events? What's it represent? So if you have the second coming at the bride's house right here, what is arrival at the groom's house? What is it? It's heaven, the beginning of eternal life. Okay, so those that are not part of the second coming and don't enter into heaven, is there any chance? Why? There it is. I heard a hundred different answers. <laughs> this is the issue. Christ wants everyone to go. We have it in Matthew 22. His greatest fear is that there will be standing space in his wedding hall, and there's no one standing in it. He's not claustrophobic. He wants everyone there. His greatest desire. The reason why he tells this story is he doesn't want you to be foolish. He wants you to be there. He wants you to celebrate this transition from earth to heaven. Michael. In that culture, first century, Judea, I think he's also talking about their complacency. Yes. They obey the Sabbath. They follow the Mosaic law. They don't associate with Gentiles. Uh, they despise the Romans, etc., etc., etc. And it's challenging that. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Who is next? That's how I want it. Back here. Yes. Going back a um, few steps to the waiting part, I'm glad that you mentioned it. While I was listening to you, it just struck me that it is entirely possible that the waiting will really be long. Yeah. We've been waiting for 2,000 years. We've been waiting since 1844. Mm -hmm. My grandparents have been waiting since like, they started listening to heritage singers during the 70s. <laughs> it's entirely possible that we will still be waiting 1,000 years from now, long after the Bible lab is gone. Mm. Maybe in 3024. Right? Yeah. But the important thing is what our original forefathers have named our group of common believers, hmm. Adventists. It doesn't matter whether Christ is going to come tonight, he's going to come back, and I'm going to keep believing on it. Hmm. Hmm. I love it. I love it. Um, I have a comment, but I'm going to save it. Who is next? Right here. Right here. Go ahead. Oh, you, you answered my question. I was saying, are we, we, are we looking at this as if it's a... Um, the second coming or some aspect of the second coming. And, and when you, uh, you mentioned uh, on Wednesday warm-up the D.H. Uh, Carson, so yeah. I looked up what he was saying. And right. of course, he's very confused because he doesn't know if this is the pre-rapture, the post-rapture. Yeah. And, and of course, we don't, we don't believe that. But he, was, he said a lot of commentators seem to be not knowing what this really is. And so they try to glean this idea of, of the Holy Spirit and, and mm -hmm. being ready, yeah. not getting ready. And, yeah. uh, so to be in that state. So that's yeah. But I was, I was going to not ask my question because I, I thought that you answered it. So. <laughs> well, <laughs> well I, I love that you unpacked it because you're also helping us get closer to where I'm going to take us in a moment. Back here. Okay. Um, I'm thinking that the five foolish virgins, uh, did, could be, this could be an opportunity for them to exercise their faith. Uh, first is that uh, they have uh, not enough oil, but if they have faith that and pray that that oil will enable them to reach up to the bridegroom's house and not leaving, because if they did not leave, the door could not have shut for them. Mm -hmm. 
And uh, secondly, that despite of their weakness, they didn't uh, have enough preparation for that oil. Hmm. But they did not leave, but they have faith that despite of their weakness, then the bridegroom will not uh, close the door for them. Hmm. Yeah. So uh, that's my thinking. Yeah. Probably it's an opportunity for them to exercise their faith because in my day-to-day -day activities, believe me, even for little things, I pray. There's a lot of times where in I go to work and then I start my car and then there's not enough gas in there. But I pray, but please, Lord, let me get to my work on time yeah. <laughs> with this little oil. Or sometimes I'm lacking, um, I'm running out of time. But then I pray, please, Lord, let me get on my work on time because I don't want to get late. Then, believe it, I make it. <laughs> yeah. I love that. I just wrote down sharing my faith because I don't want to forget this because this is the core of everything. It's the core of what this parable is all about. I'm going to talk about it in just a moment, but I want to get to this comment over here. Okay, yeah, in the second paragraph here of your, your handout, um, it says that um, the, the five foolish virgins um, asked about getting oil because it said, they, said, they said their lamps are going out. Yeah. Obviously, that's saying that they're lit. But here's yeah. the thing. Here's another scripture that I, I kind of bring into this because it says um, God want, doesn't want us lukewarm. He wants us hot or cold. Mm -hmm. The problem is that I think the full, five foolish virgins were, were lukewarm. Mm -hmm. They were there. Mm -hmm. They meant to go, yeah. but they weren't sincere enough, in essence, to remember that oil. Yeah. So. Yeah. Uh, and what you're referring to in Revelation, the church of Laodicea, it is referring to people in the church right. who are lukewarm. It's not right. talking about people who are outside. Yeah. In fact, he goes on to say, I wish you were either hot or cold. You know, I'd rather you be cold outside the church. Yeah. So there's obviously something going on here that they're in the bridal party, but they're still missing the key ingredient. And when we talk about sharing your faith, it, it all comes together. It all comes together. What's, Back here. What's confusing sometimes, too, is that you ever think, why does God want us cold? Hmm. See, because, I mean, the thing is that we're kind of fooling ourselves being lukewarm. We're never, we're not here nor there. Mm -hmm. Better you be cold so that you be yourself. Yeah. And because Jesus said, you know, come to me as you are for mm -hmm. that same reason. Yeah. Because you can't grow it unless you just, you're real, you know. Yeah. Absolutely. I love, I, I love where you're going with this because it, may, it causes us to ask this question. Why are we part of the bridal party? Because we are. In, in this story, we're part of the bridal party, right? Sorry, men, but we're part of the bridal party. Okay, it's just a millennial thing. We got to do it all together. Okay, guys, okay, we're, we're going to go to the showers and everything. Okay, so we're all part of the bridal party. Why? What is your ultimate goal of being part of the bridal party? And if you answer the question, my goal is because I want to go to heaven, you're foolish. You're lost. Because the bridesmaids who were foolish wanted to go to the feast. And they didn't. They stayed up. They dressed up. They stayed where they had to to get the first word that the groom was coming. They were positioned, 
they were committed, and they even gave up in order to be part of that group, and they were lost. Which tells me this, we, the bridesmaids, can desire to go to heaven and be foolish and not make it. So the question that we have to come to is what does it mean if we want to go, what does it mean to have the oil, an unshareable oil? If it is sharing your faith, what can we share? As mentioned just before, we have to share our faith. What are you sharing? If you're sharing that you have a system, if you're sharing that you have a truth, if you're sharing that you have the way, if you just start doing this and stop doing that, if you start eating this and stop eating that, if you start wearing this, stop wearing that, if you go through all this do's and don'ts, you're not going to make it. Because that's not sharing your faith. That's sharing your culture. So, what do we do to help people go from foolish bridesmaids to wise bridesmaids? What can you share? The ultimate question is, well, this unshareable oil, how do I help those who don't have enough or any oil have the oil? Well, we know that the oil is the Holy Spirit. So how do you share your faith? The question is, what do you have to share? If your understanding of how you are preparing Filling up your tank of oil so that when the cry comes that the bridegroom is here. The sky rips open and it's time to go. What do you have to have in the tank? That is, and he answers it right at the end of the parable, a relationship. If your goal for being a bridesmaid is so that you can spend time with the bridegroom, the bride, and the party, You've got the oil because your desire is to spend time with God. Your desire is not simply to get rid of all your pain, get rid of all your financial issues, to get rid of all the relational issues here on earth so finally you can just relax for all eternity, slide down the neck of a giraffe and water ski on dolphins. <laughs> if that's your desire, you will not make it. Because the only thing that you have in the tank that will get you from here to there is relationship. And that's why when we get down to verse 12, the response that he's trying to help you understand is the difference between having oil and not having oil is being known or not being known. We, tongue-in-cheek, in the yes and no section, number five, we said God does not know everybody. And in this theological sense, it's true. Because God has given you choice not only to follow him or not follow him, God has given you a choice to know him and be known by him or to not be known by him. Because you can choose to not be known by God by you saying, I don't want to know you. That's how fair he is. Now, his greatest heartbreak is when you say, I don't want to know you. I don't want to be known. It's his greatest heartbreak. But what is the difference between having oil and not having oil is when you look at the bridegroom coming, what is your greatest hope? And if your greatest hope is to be with your maker, king, creator forever, you're part of that beautiful light parade. 
the parade that goes from this planet all the way up to the glorious kingdom above. And in that sense, if you're worried, am I foolish? Am I wise? Christ made it really, really easy. Are you known? Do you wish to be known? And do you wish to know him? Because you're, if you're on that list, if you're on the list of people who are so close to God that he doesn't have to look at a written list, he's like, where are you? Because it's not going to be a wedding without you. And I'm going to make sure you're in before that door closes. If your desire is to be known and to know God, and that is heaven to you, you got all the oil you need. So some of us, myself included, got, uh, we, we got a lot to do. The beautiful thing uh, for this week is even though we got a lot of work to fill up with oil, uh, God does not have an oil crisis. Price is not only low, the price has been paid for. It's free. Let's tank up this week. Oh, I know I'm going to try to do that, and I pray that you do as well. Now, I can't wait for you to listen to next week's session because it is probably one of the most untalked about parables of all time. It's called the parable of the shrewd manager, but it's really a bad title, and you'll see why in the next episode. It's just really a confusing parable because it seems like Jesus is saying he would prefer us to be dishonest rather than to be honest. And so we have to dig into that because that doesn't fit the character of God. And when we see exactly what he's saying, I'm telling you, it's going to transform your life. I don't know why more pastors aren't preaching this. And perhaps after many people listen to this and share it, perhaps you'll hear it a lot more from the pulpit because it shows probably one of the most beautiful aspects of our infinite loving God. So join us for the next episode, and I can't wait for us to grow together a little bit more at that time. God bless you. Thank you for listening to the Bible Lab Podcast. If you're planning a trip to Southern California, make sure to reserve your VIP seats in the Bible Lab by emailing us at info at thebiblelab.com. Programs are recorded each Saturday at 10.30 a.m. We hope to see you soon. Until then, we wish you God's richest blessings as you continue to research and develop the character of God.